Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called but of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and you're very welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Wackler, the tech editor of The Irish and Sunday Independent. And this week we're going to talk about a couple of things. I'm going to go a little bit more through the iPhone XS and the iPhone XS Max, which I got and which I have reviewed. And I'm going to give you a little bit more about what they're like, what the issues are with them. And we're also going to talk to Jamie White, who's an entrepreneur who created the Start Summit and who owns a marketing agency called Leading Social which more or less specialises in social media strategies for big companies. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. You created something called the Start Summit. It's just finished. It's for startups. Is that right? Yeah, it's for the kind of people that have a business idea but don't necessarily know how to get started or have started but don't necessarily know what they've gotten themselves into. So Mm -hmm. that's our audience. So it's not tech. It's necessarily... Do you know what? Tech is startups. Uh, there's so, like, so many people in startups are in tech, but yeah. I wanted to also reach others. I wanted to re- reach mm-hmm. food. I wanted to re- reach creatives. Uh, and thankfully we did that, but mm-hmm. predominantly it was set in tech. Now, I've only met you five minutes ago, but you seem like a nice guy. And my experience is you have to be a bit of a bastard to uh, to to do <laughs> conferences uh, very well. Um, so, you know, is there another, do you have a dark side or... Interesting. That's actually a real competitive edge we're going for. Uh, I look at a lot of the conferences and I don't think they deliver the value that they should. And uh, and they've really fat margins. So mm-hmm. uh, I think there's a huge opportunity to actually be a nice guy when it comes to conferences. Mm-hmm. And being completely transparent, that's why I put my name behind everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't fall into that overly greedy space. But how do you actually... Not to be too blunt, but how do you get things done then? Because my, I've, I've seen a lot of conferences close up. In front. We try and organize a few ourselves, and I sometimes have to get involved in organizing them. They're bloody hard things to get off the ground. I, I think they're hard if you're trying to be, again, overly greedy. But if you're looking after everybody, so I we talk about this over and over in the office, that an event should stand up um, and benefit everybody from every angle. So the attendees, obviously, the speakers should get great benefit of uh, from the event, as in it should be timed to complement them well. The exhibitors, similarly speaking, should be positioned right so that they'll do very well from the event, but they'll also benefit all the other parties. So for me, when you get that complementing balance between all the stakeholders, things become easy. But when you pull it a little bit too much to one side, that's when you have to be you know, very you're tough. very well spoken. You ticked off all of the, the correct uh, terms there, all, all the right nomenclature and, and the stakeholders and value and all, all that kind of stuff. How do you actually get people to talk at a conference? Um, so uh, let's take, for example, say Pat Valvey. And Pat, Just remind the listeners who Pat uh, Falvey is. So Pat Falvey is an Arctic explorer, um, but he's also uh, somebody who very openly talks uh, about uh, his uh, failure as such um, when he went from having a very successful business to not. And he talks very openly about that whole process and then reinventing himself from uh, reinventing himself from that and building a whole new business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted him to come in and talk about failure because the fact of the matter is if you host a conference for startup attendees, the one thing for sure is that they're all going to fail. Um, but the measure in which they fail uh, by, I think, is proportionate to their 
really to their to their relativity when it comes to failure. So if somebody's talking about suicide and if somebody's mm-hmm. talking about losing tens of millions, mm-hmm. uh, I think that'll help them deal with. So how do you get someone like him to speak? So getting straight to the point, my apologies. Mm-hmm. I looked at his schedule. He's bringing out a book. Uh, he's bringing out a book this month. Ah, it's called Accidental Re- Rebel. Mm-hmm. And so my event provided a fantastic opportunity for him to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and there it's was actually a, a great strategy because authors really do look for platforms to speak. My, my mother's a writer. She's a, a novelist. And she will actually go to the end of the country, down to you know the Bear Peninsula, up to Donegal, to talk to a library with 20 people. Mm. You know, she'll drive all day and all night because there's something gets into the something gets into an author's mind. Do you find this? If you're on social media as well, they 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 have something published and it's like their baby. They become completely shameless. They start retweeting praise to themselves. Do you know what? I, I, I wouldn't go down the avenue of shameless. I just say yeah. it's brilliant yeah. <laughs> from my perspective. But like there's loads of other angles. Take, for example, say uh, Chris Lauder. Chris Lauder is one of the most outstanding young entrepreneurs in the country. He's just launched Dublin Academy of Education in Stilorgan as in his own school. Um, he does grinds for three and a half thousand students every week. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he launched his school first of September. He's done a huge amount of PR. Fantastic opportunity for him as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, you had some of the old Grizzlies there as well, like Ray Nolan was there, and, and Ray Nolan's just taken over the reins as CEO in Excelico, his own business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and so going event, very well, from what I hear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, do you know what? He was fantastic in in that. Like it's a first year event for for this event, and he mm-hmm. took a leap of faith with us. Uh, I think it paid off. He really, really inspired a lot of attendees who wouldn't have known of him, but really, really appreciated. Did he swear on stage? He absolutely did from the uh-huh. very get go. Yeah. And yes. if I'm honest, I actually I want I really wanted him to. I wanted I my my kind of overall theme for the event was forewarned, it's forearmed, mm-hmm. because with a lot of these events, they they celebritize getting into business and they make it seem so exciting. Whereas with this, I wanted it. To be honest, a kind of a good point for me would be some of the attendees going to that conference and going, actually, going getting into business myself isn't for me and walking away um, mm-hmm. all the better for it. Um, and the others that are really excited getting into it, well, forewarned is forearmed. They realize what they're getting themselves into and mm-hmm. they proceed from there that little bit more conservatively. And do you, did you have to, do you have to pay any of the speakers? Um, with every speaker in this event, I didn't. Okay. Um, and I didn't because I wanted to make sure that... Um, I, I think in these events, when there's a commercial relationship behind some of the speakers, um, there's a different atmosphere over and above when there's a real uh, tangible benefit to each of them. So I just made sure that, as I said, I made the events stack up for every party involved. Mm. It's very difficult for conference organizers um, and I mean everyone, uh, it, it's, there's always a temptation for pay to play as well, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And look, if I, again, being transparent, I don't have the money. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hosted this event without a cent behind me. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I, I have social, a social media agency leading mm-hmm. social and that's doing very, very well. But it's interesting. It's my business, but the team would not let me take a cent from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in hosting this event, yeah, I didn't have, have any money to... Pay mm-hmm. the speakers to uh, to del- you know to over mm-hmm. uh, sorry to buy my way to success. Right. Um. I had to really think it through and make sure that it made sense for everybody that got on board. And so take a guy got- like Ray Nolan. Unless unless you knew him before, unless you do, uh, maybe you knew him uh, outside this event or this conference. But it, but if you didn't, uh, did you know him? Do you know him outside this? Event? I, I didn't know him before. Okay. So he's you know he's he he. Suff- does not suffer fools gladly. He, he you know, he, he will um, sort the wheat from the chaff pretty quickly. So you go to someone like him and then what's your pitch? Um, the opportunity to inspire the generation uh, following in their footsteps. Uh, now in I know in those words, would you actually use those I, words? I know that sounds pretty cliche. Um, I, honestly, I sold the concept that I was saying, that, I, 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 that I've said earlier, that I, I said, look, so many of these uh, events don't encourage um, the next generation of entrepreneurs. In fact, I think they exploit them. Mm-hmm. And so many of these events are... He would like that. He did. Yeah, he, he'd like that line. I said, look, you know, um, people are celebritizing entrepreneurs and, and they're not, you know, they're sugarcoating it. Mm-hmm. And nobody is actually telling it how it is. You tell it how it is. And I want you to come. I want you to headline this this event. And I want you to tell our attendees exactly what they're getting into. Forewarn them, forearm them, and let's go from there. You had Ray Nolan down to a T. That's exactly what he would want to hear. Did you? And was that sort of the same message for some of the other speakers? Or did you? Did you kind of look at the different speakers and just tailor 
uh, to tailor the message well, to them. Everybody had a mission within it. So mm-hmm. uh, Jackie Marsh, for example, say Jackie Marsh uh, came, remind, remind they, came in behind Jackie the butler's Marsh's. pantry um, in its infancy. Uh, I, I, I would describe it as untangling an entrepreneurial mess that a lot of entrepreneurs do and then helping a business scale for growth and then scaling it up and growing it. Uh, so I would see her as an expert when it comes to scaling for growth. And I wanted her to share her story um, and to help uh, entrepreneurs from the very get-go ensure a bit of scalability behind their business. Like That's what she's done. She's done expertly. She's learned a huge amount of lessons along the way. So giving her the platform to share that with so many others and really do herself justice mm-hmm. and credit. Um, so everybody had a mission within it. Um, everybody had huge value to give uh, to attendees. Giving them the platform to do that worked in a lot of cases for a lot of the speakers. To huge benefit for the attendees. When you're setting up a conference and running it, do you have to tell yourself that this is going to be something really special, all like in, something incredible, to just to get yourself to you know to see the the, the mission as you, as you describe it th- through? I, I've seen people like Paddy Cosgrave at close quarters, and his entire approach, certainly for the first few years, was he would he would say there was revolutionaries, that they were creating something that's never been seen before. And I think he believed uh, a lot of that himself. Um, but he certainly, that was his way of trying to get people on board and to, to, to see it through. There, there wasn't any room for an ounce of cynicism or uh, doubt. Yeah, he's, he's so impressive in that regard. Um, look, for me, I hosted this event as the event I wish was there for me when I was starting off. And that was my mission. I I speak at a huge amount of these kind of startup events and startup meetups. And if I'm honest, every time I go, I'm that little bit more underwhelmed. Um, because I do think for some strange reason, like entrepreneurship and startups are the very backbone of an economy. But, but for some strange reason, so many people are just exploiting them. And pretty much every event that I went to, this this bit of frustration built and built and built. And for me, well, rather than getting frustrated about it, just do something about it. And so this that was my mission to have. So how, how would that manifest itself? I kind of know what you're talking about. I sometimes speak at, at different things as well, maybe not as much as you, but how would it manifest itself when you turn up to something and you're just thinking, oh, God, it, it, you know, this is just kind of run of the mill. So... Uh, my background is in events. I, mm. When I was 20, I was running 30 uh, student nights a week um, all over Ireland and UK. Discos. Discos, yeah. And like where? Uh, everywhere. Uh, Dublin, Cork, Galway, Belfast. We went, to, I went as far as the Netherlands, um, worked with some of the biggest DJs in the world, did all that. But what it, what it did for me is that it allowed me very quickly uh, figure out the, the finances on an event. And, mm-hmm. and Genuinely, one of the most kind of frustrating things I, I found is I'd walk into an event where the price tag was huge and I'd know there wasn't a huge spend or a huge cost behind the event. And so, mm. like, I, I, I'm a so big believer. Profiteering. Profiteering. And I'm a big believer that, like, you know, good on people for making huge profits, but you can make good profits where everybody wins. Um, but when you. So, into that environment, how do you then? Uh, position yourself um, as something new or something different. I mean, we, we're 10, 20 years into a glut of conferences. I've, I've written pieces before about the sheer volume of meetups and conferences and seminars that hap- are happening now. And in, do you mind me asking, would you feel similarly about a lot of those conferences? Yeah, yeah, I would. I, I would feel that um, a lot of them would be uh, just just hosting a gig just for the sake of it or or maybe there's uh, in a large organization there's a mid-level manager who uh, needs to prove his or her salary uh, and so you know, puts on an event and nobody really has big buy into it but if it happens and they get 100 or 200 people there they can just tick it off and it's kind of a box ticking exercise yeah and then there's the cookie cutting exercise of mm. wow this worked in this industry so let's copy mm. it over in 100 different other industries mm. and there's these personality list events mm. that are really sad because they're failing the very purpose that they're meant to do which is att- arm attendees for progressing forward mm. and instead all it does is rob them so what makes my what makes the events I'm looking to host different? They're personal. Mm-hmm. Um, like for me, at the start of the year, I hosted an event called Fresh Resolutions, and Fresh Resolutions was all about setting attendees up for their year ahead, and I brought in experts in goal setting, in uh, in health and wellness and happiness, uh, in mindfulness. This is like a personal training or something. Exactly, because think of it: at the start of the year, 
well, really over the Christmas break, we all get very ambitious for ourselves. We set goals. Oh, hold on, hold on. I'm starting to hear the word life coach enter no, this conversation. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not going to bring in a life coach. But what I, I, <laughs> Excuse my cynicism. I'm no, sorry. no, no, no. I just think it's interesting in that, you know, we all go mad pre-Christmas and post-Christmas between New Year's Eve. We go another year. What am I going to do with myself? Mm-hmm. How am I going to, how, how am I going to get really get on top of this year ahead? And so literally at the very, very start of the start of the year, uh, I hosted this event, Fresh Resolutions. It was in the RDS. It was a thousand people brought in. Um, a lot. It, it was a lot and it was it was fantastic. And and that was very, very much meant to be personal for, atten- for, for attendees, as I said, to set them up for the year ahead. It was, again, an event I wish was there for me at the start of the year. And I thought, well, do you know what? How am mm-hmm. I going to get the best of advice at the start of the year? Well, if I do this event, I'll get the best advice. Are you secretly want to be Tony Robbins? Are you, are you kind I, of heading? Uh, so now here we will get that clash. Look, I'm a massive fan of Tony Robbins. I really? Think, yeah, I think he's fantastic. And uh, I, yeah, I think he's fantastic because what he's done is he's built an extraordinarily successful company. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, he extraordinarily benefits all those that come in contact with him. I'll hold on all and I'll say 99.9 because I could see yourself licking lips getting ready to come in. But No, no, no. I mean, I don't have any. Okay, I'll throw another name at you Tony Quinn uh, so interesting I don't know enough about Tony Quinn to yeah. pass any comment the thing I think is interesting is the people that don't know him well enough slam him they do and the people that do know him the people that do go to his conferences praise him mm-hmm. I haven't come in contact with him at all over and above buying supplements in a Tony Quinn supplement store um, <laughs> but I, I if do I'm on still have one in the Stevens Green Centre they do yeah, a yeah. pop up kiosk there I could never understand what was in that stuff. Is it just like whey protein or something? Or is it bodybuilding stuff? Look, it, it's, there's a bit of bodybuilding. There's a bit of biohacking. There's a bit of all sorts. Mm. Um, and that look, that whole supplement and biohacking space is something I'm really, really interested in. Um, and the whole life coaching thing, it seems to divide into two or three different strands. There's the kind of the healthy side of it, which is just literally trying to... Um, you know, do a little bit more or set goals for yourself, which I think everybody would agree is good. At the extreme end, on the other end of it, there is this sense that there are, there's a set of vulnerable people and people who are unscrupulous can come in and kind of promise them the, and try to become like a guru or a messiah. So that's in everything. So that's in everything. And that's something that I I suppose I was talking about in events, but Mm -hmm. it's in health, it's in wellness, it's in food, it's in everything where there's people that are exploiting mm-hmm. and there's people that are taking advantage. And there's Have you seen Wild Wild West on Netflix? Did you see that documentary? Yeah, I did indeed, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah About yeah. the guru, the Indian guru. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Some of his quotes are pretty interesting. Yeah. Again, like, pulling back from that and just, like, I think, like, there's nothing to be proud about in business when you're exploiting people. Nothing. And... Uh, I think there's nothing more proud to be when you've got a successful business that complements everybody that comes in touch with it. Mm-hmm. I think that is uh, professional success to me, um, and and so yeah mm-hmm. yeah no that, that, so that, that's so if I pull back again um, when I was looking at events I was thinking well do you know what I can actually set these events up I think they're going to do very well as a business and they're going to do very very well for attendees. Um, and that's how I motivated myself and that's how I, I, I persevered because the journey to making sure an event works for every stakeholder is really, really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was my kind of mantra throughout the whole process. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit about leading uh, social now, the, uh, the agency that, that you, uh, you own. Um, just be, actually before I do that, one last point about uh, the Start Summit. Um, uh, there was a picture of you with Heather Humphreys, Minister Heather Humphreys, and you put <laughs> yeah. your arm around her. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't know you were allowed to do that with ministers. Uh, put your arm around her. I, I, yeah, I, 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 like it was a fulsome arm right around her shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually got two or three calls after that. Look, do you know what? Heather was fantastic. Sorry, Minister Humphreys was fantastic. You can call her Heather. We're, I can call we're her Heather. First okay, name sure. terms. Um, do you know what? She was, she was so supportive. Um, I, 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 I started talking about this event a year ago. And a couple of offices laughed me out of them. Hmm. Um, she didn't. Uh, she said, look, I, I can see what you're going for. Like one of a very big differentiating factor is my event is on a Saturday. Every other startup event is midweek. Mm-hmm. And for me, the very attendees that I wanted to attract are working their asses off nine to five, Monday to Friday. Can't give up a working day. 
um, but would give up a, a weekday, some of their own personal time to get that upgrade. Mm -hmm. And she saw that. Uh, she saw that I was going for intimacy um, rather than extraordinary numbers. I was, I, she caught onto the whole personal side. She fantastically endorsed us. So if I'm honest, probably maybe I was maybe a bit over friendly, but I, I was just so grateful because uh, like first year events are really difficult and really challenging and to get uh, and to get the minister's endorsement was fantastic. So yeah, that was probably a little bit more of my uh, appreciation coming out. Um, oh, I mean, it looked very warm. It's just I didn't know you were allowed to do that, you know. <laughs> Uh, it's like, it's a, not quite the same scale, but it's like, I, I think it was the Australian Prime Minister, I think it was Paul Howard, who touched the Queen's back uh, about 10 years ago. And there was furor in the Daily Mail and Daily Telegraph went absolutely nuts. How dare you touch our Queen and all that kind of stuff. But um, anyway, anyway, it's, um, I'm glad you did. Um, leading social, um, that essentially is um, a marketing agency that kind of specializes in social media for big companies. Is that right? Uh, completely specialized yeah. in social media. The thing for me is social media marketing is such an expertise. And mm -hmm. you have all these marketing agencies out there that uh, do everything. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is that when you do everything, you're spread too thin, you really can't do any specific thing really well. And I wanted to do social media really well because four years ago when social media wasn't as um, understood as it is now. People didn't really know, is it the next big thing? And I felt it was. Um, and I felt uh, to get into the industry, we needed to specialize um, so that we gave ourselves the opportunity to focus in on that, get better and better on that, and hopefully become the best at that. Mm -hmm. So Leading Social is a wholly and totally dedicated social media agency. So we work with businesses first, uh, making sure social media works for them, some businesses are on it just because they see uh, their neighbor on it, um, but it, they shouldn't necessarily be on it. So the very first thing is making sure they should be on it and then making sure it works for them and then carrying out from there. Mm -hmm. And you work with influencers, do you? Uh, we work with influencers, yeah. Um, so How's that business? We we've, we had um, James Cavanaugh on the program before. Very nice young man. He's completely self-aware, understands absolutely, utterly that um, he is doing very well on uh, channels like Instagram and Snapchat now, but in two years' time, his career might be over. So he's very, very self-aware. Um, and he is very, very matter-of-fact about what he charges uh, uh, companies because he says it's a fair exchange. How do you, how do you engage with, how do you connect companies with influencers? Uh, relevancy is okay. the simplest form. So there's so much confusion and a lot of laziness in this space. Um, but influencers when worked with correctly can be hugely impactful and they're not a new thing we're, we're all familiar with celebrity endorsements and we've been familiar with celebrity endorsements for decades um, and this is effectively celebrity endorsements through social media mm -hmm. can you give me an example of something that worked well with an influencer and, and a company that you, you you were involved with uh, well like what's working well all the time is fitness influencers and gyms fitness influencers and uh so that's and fitness clothing gym is the company or the uh, clothing company is the client, is it? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And then the influencer. Uh, yeah, so so like, um, it's it's really frustrating. As soon as I'm put on the spot, I'm actually forgetting <laughs> the very uh, Gymshark. Um, mm -hmm. And like, if you look at Gymshark, uh, which is a clothing brand, a gym uh, clothing brand. And I they, was, I, for a second, I was thinking, oh, God, is there an influencer called Jim Shark that I haven't come across? No, 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 no. no. I was um, going, yeah, he's really good. But there's an extraordinarily <laughs> uh, successful and fast growing company, Jim yeah. Shark. And what they did was they realized the impact that these fitness influencers could bring. Mm -hmm. um, so they set up dedicated uh, pages on their website and dedicated discount codes for each of these influencers. Mm -hmm. And they gave them free clothing and they said, look, whenever you wear our free clothing, mm -hmm. tell your audience that you're wearing it and give them a discount uh, to purchase um, on our site. And they set up hundreds and thousands of these uh, influencers working on their behalf. They gave the influencers a great revenue share and they did extraordinarily well. They've done extraordinarily well. They're fantastically fast growing. There's a really, really interesting business story behind that and an expert use of social influencers. Mm -hmm. um, now, there's a huge amount of lazy uh, and bad uses of influencers where uh, where a brand will get into the influencing influencer space, not really think about it, but feel that they should be in the influencer space and will pair themselves with an influencer that's completely irrelevant and out of touch with their target market. And those just don't work. And of course they don't work. And a lot of those kind of cases have given 
the industry a bad name, um, but when used correctly, it's fantastic. So successful. in that scenario, for example, let's say you're talking about, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a say. I'll, I'll give an example. Yeah. My sister's Holly White. My sister Holly White is outstanding uh, in that she's very, very specific or very, very niche. Um, so she's a vegan advocate and she's uh, a cruelty free advocate. Um, is Holly's a model, is she? Uh, Sorry. Holly uh, has just released a book, a vegan cookbook. Uh, right. She previously was a model. Okay. Um, sorry, that's she, No, no, not at all. She, like, Holly is bright, smart, beautiful, full of personality. She's been on TV a lot. She's uh, modeled a lot. She's been a stylist. There um, aren't that many Hollies in Ireland. That's because I was like, there's, I think there's another, sorry, go on. No, 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 not at all. But anyway, what, what's interesting is she, she is so, um, every day she's posting about being a vegan mm -hmm. and being so conscious of being environmentally friendly and cruelty free. Um, a fast food chain, uh, like a, a very meat heavy fast food chain mm -hmm. approached her uh, to endorse their brand. Like, I don't know how they got that far, but that's just, I, I suppose, um, I symbolize exactly what I was saying in terms of uh, a little bit of laziness in, on one side. Um, well, I'm just looking her up actually on Instagram as as we talk. So hollywhite.ie. Yeah. She's a vegan food style and cruelty-free beauty. She's certified in plant-based nutrition. She's a Yonka Ireland ambassador. And how What's Yonka Ireland? Yonka uh, is the official Instagram for Yonka. It's cosmetics. Yeah. So how lazy must a brand manager have been to approach her and say, hey, we think you would be a fantastic We love your ambassador. vegan profile. We have a great marketing idea for you. Exactly. Meat. And so I think it's funny that you'll get people saying, oh, you know, the influencer space, it doesn't really work. No, it's just a case that a lot of marketing managers and brand managers don't work. Yeah. Um, marketing is one of these things where Previously, I think it was probably underappreciated or undervalued, but now it's an exact science. It's mm -hmm. a serious, serious expertise. And so the people that really aren't on top of their space are being shown up. Um, and you know yourself, a very Irish thing is figure out, pass the blame as quickly as you can. Yep. Um, but I wouldn't be looking at influencers and thinking they're going to go anywhere, um, that they have an expiry date. The ones that are doing it right are going to do really, really well now and well into the future. It's funny, isn't it? Because there is, um, when it comes to influencers, on one hand, there is traditional media snobbery around the influencer market, which I find a little bit just lazy um, because really... It's really just another form of media and marketing, as you're pointing out. And then on the other hand, there there is the the end of it where the the rules aren't as clearly defined. There there, there is a quite a lot of shilling going on uh, with and and selling stuff, uh, you know, um, editorial or lifestyle behavior masquerading. You know, as do you, do you know what I think about about the whole space though that is so interesting is like the market is the market and the when an influencer who is in a specific field mm. endorses something out of their field, they'll imme immediately lose their following. They'll feel the impact. And they'll feel the impact. And there's almost this self-regulation that's going on. I think you're dead right about that. I, I think that sometimes the, the harshest criticism of influencers come from people who just who just hate social media, who just don't like social media in general. And it's just mm -hmm. another thing to bash them with. There's, with social media as a whole, there's a lot of misinformation and there's mm -hmm. a lot of confusion and a lot of people play on that. Um, and yeah, the harshest criticism oftentimes does come from those that aren't playing in the space. Um, How does the conversation between you and a big company, I have my own idea about, say, a traditional company, let's say a car company. Yeah. I have my own idea about what the the MD of that company is like, or what the marketing manager of that company is like, and how do you engage with them when it comes to social media? Like, what's the language that you have to use with them? To so I set up uh, Leading Social four, four years ago, and the language then was very, very different to now. So then I would call an email about 100 times over. Mm -hmm. And if anybody's listening here that has got those 100 plus emails for me, I I'm sorry, mm -hmm. but it was a necessary evil. Um, and pre-GDPR yeah. and it would be um, us really trying to hammer the value uh, at them um, so you were using phrases like ROI return on investment no I was I was using phrases like free and right. let me show you what we can do uh -huh. and let me prove our value and let me take a fee proportionate to the value we're delivering mm -hmm. 
and uh, but it was push. It was push, push, push. Whereas, am I am I right in thinking there's a little bit of pull now well, uh, into 2018, as in as in big companies are thinking we well, need to have uh, well. A foot what here. changed about two years ago was that everybody was like, "Oh, we need to be on social media," uh, mm-hmm. but they weren't really thinking about how well they sh- should be on it or what they should be doing on it. Um, people really felt obliged. Um, and what's changed over the last uh, while and really is very clear now is that people aren't feeling obliged to be on social media. They're looking more so at the opportunity that social media can bring them. And what's really, really nice is that people are knocking on our door now as an agency. People are seeing us as experts in our space. And um, and rather than us having to plead our case, uh, they're saying, look, you know, we know we, we appreciate your expertise. How can social media work best for us? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a much, much, much nicer relationship. Um, I, and sorry, I'm, I'm actually, it's nice remembering back the, the journey um, of literally 100 plus calls to get a meeting, to mm-hmm. pitch, to do it for free, to now having people come to us and say, how can this work for us? Tell us what to do. Um, and appreciating expertise. How many clients do you have? Uh, Oh, how many clients? So our uh, model is retainer-based, so we retain clients on an ongoing basis, and we sit at about 30 clients monthly. Okay, that's not bad. It's great. Um, How's your bills? We we used to have a lot more. Uh, um, Keen Corbett joined us um, from Radical. He was head of their social as they won uh, Best Social Media Agency for five years. He then... uh, came in and work, worked with us and a huge um, part of that work was realising uh, quality over quantity and raising the, the overall profile um, of the client base mm-hmm. um, and it's been fantastic you know we've done great work with the likes of Irish Life the likes of ESB um, I'm actually re- really really proud of the work we're doing with Vithid at the moment just because it's very vi- visible and, and it's a very friendly brand mm-hmm. um, but yeah no, it's been a really fun journey and so you're in this you're in this position now where this is all seems to be working quite well you've got 30 odd clients on retainer or so you're trying to up the quality Are, do you then start thinking down the line okay w- I'd like to take the next step and start you know, hiring more creatives and so are you starting to think like an ad agency down the line? Um, so it, it's it's kind of funny. I I actually don't run the agency. Right. Um, about a year ago, I realized that I I I loved that hustle at the start of setting the business up, mm-hmm. um, but I realized the way I grew the agency was really um, wherever I was weak. Uh, we brought in an expert and uh, turned those weaknesses into expertise. But very soon as everybody got their time to and space to dedicate within a given area, um, I actually found myself, um, I, sorry, I found o- others um, really in a mu- much better uh, position mm-hmm. than me to manage their areas of the business. Um, and I felt that the business would be complemented better by somebody else. So over the last year, I've worked my way out um, of running the business and Hannah Corky now runs runs leading social and she's she's doing an absolutely outstanding job. Um, so for us, uh, what I, I find myself there is just r- really s- supporting her. And yeah, ex- exactly uh, as you've touched on, like the the thing for us is is really just developing the level of quality and the level of return that we can give clients and. Um, and that's delving into creativity, mm-hmm. um, but that's also delving in, uh, delving into the numbers and the uh, the ad strategies. And uh, and it's funny, like social media brilliantly brings brings together uh, creativity uh, and data and matching matching the two. Where there's no there's no bull. Um, you know, it's not a case of something looks good because it looks good. No, it looks good because it performs and it delivers the numbers, which is great. No bull. On that note, we're, we're going to leave it. Uh, James White, uh, creator of the Start Summit and Leading Social. Thanks very much for coming in to talk to us Thank uh, you. today. And now we're going to talk about the uh, slew of new iPhones, the iPhone XS and the iPhone XS Max that were launched uh, about a week ago. And I have them both and I've been reviewing them both for the last 10 days. Uh, I'm going to go into some of the issues around them first. First of all, I'm going to give you the Idiot's Shorter 30 Second Guide. Um, these are a very, very solid S upgrade, except for one thing. The 6.5 inch 10s Max is actually kind of transformational. It is actually new ground for an iPhone. The iPhone 8 Plus and iPhone 7 Plus were big screen phones, but they weren't really nearly as big as what Samsung and Huawei and other companies had and now they are. That 6.5 inch OLED screen is absolutely gorgeous. It's an absolute magnet for 
uh, doing things like watching TV and Netflix, I kind of can't keep my eyes off it. That's actually might be a bit of an issue for me going forward. Um, but just on the size, I'll start on the size because there is a kind of a narrative going around about uh, whether the iPhone XS Max is too big. And people have this impression that this is an absolutely giant phone, way bigger than anything Apple has made before. Actually, folks, it's slightly smaller than the iPhone 8 Plus. Yet yeah, You heard me right. It is smaller. So when I say smaller, I mean the overall footprint is smaller. The, the overall handset. The screen is definitely bigger. It's about 25% bigger, 30% bigger than the screen on the iPhone 8 Plus. It's a 6.5 inch screen rather than a 5.5 inch screen. It's also a nicer screen because it's OLED technology, which means the blacks and the colors um, are uh, much, much nicer. Um, but it is not bigger. So I don't know whether story about, you know, Apple has launched absolutely giant new phone. People are confusing the two. So uh, that's just one thing to note. For me, probably the most, the thing I'm playing with most on the iPhone XS is its camera. And it's always a linchpin for me. Uh, I've praised Huawei's uh, P20 Pro massively because of the leaps that it took, particularly with HDR photography and its night mode, which is still absolutely incredible. Um, I also praised the uh, Samsung's S9 and S9 Plus because of the incredible detail in low light that that camera has managed uh, to to pull off. And this iPhone XS and XS Max, it has a showstopper of a feature, and that is in its portrait mode. Now, when the portrait mode was launched last year with the iPhone X, uh, or the iPhone X, as a lot of people call it, it didn't really work very well. It was okay, but it was often kind of blurry um, where it shouldn't be blurry. Uh, it took a long time to set up. Big, big, big difference this year. Uh, it, you can set it up quite quickly and it's really, really accurate. So the portrait mode, what it essentially tries to do is it picks you out either in the selfie camera or in the in either of the two rear ca cameras. And it essentially... Uh, gives you a portrait of yourself. And the way it does that is partially to blur the background somewhat. It, in other words, it's mimicking depth of field or bokeh that uh, portrait photographers get when they use very expensive camera systems with very expensive lenses, big bulky lenses. But the showstopper of a feature that Apple has crammed into this version of its portrait um, uh, system is the ability to change the depth of field after you've taken the photo. So if you can imagine, and I have made a video about this, by the way, so go to independent.ie and uh, you'll, you'll see this, or uh, check out my Twitter feed at Adrian Weckler, and you'll see me doing this um, in real time. You take a picture, let's say you take a, a selfie, you then go into the selfie, press edit, and you'll see a slider feature at the bottom of the picture, and that goes from f1.4 to f16. And the closer you slide it towards f1.4, the blurrier the background gets, and the more that you or your subject is lifted out uh, sharply in the photograph. I say your subject because it doesn't have to be a human, it can be an animal, I've done it with my dog, Rosie. Um, or it can be an inanimate object. I was shooting coffee cups on Talbot Street uh, the other day uh, with it. Um, it. What this really shows off, as well as Apple's prowess um, with its cameras, it has two 12 megapixel cameras, F1.8 and F2.4 at the back, is the power of the chip, the A12 Bionic chip under the hood, because that's really where all of this is coming from. The physical cameras themselves aren't actually that much better than last year's iPhone 10. They are slightly better. The sensor is slightly bigger for the cameras. And Apple says that it has slightly deeper pixels, but there's quite a lot of debate, by the way, in the photography community as to whether deeper pixels actually exist. But Apple says, says they are. But where it's really um, mixing it up is in the way that they have married the design, the extra power that's coming out of this chip. In some cases, it's you know, two or three times as powerful as the chip in the iPhone X for some functions. The way they've married that with designing their photos and, and the photo system 
and it really works and you can see it in real time. It's a kind of a jaw-dropping feature. Um, if you see it in action, uh, I think you I think you'll probably uh, agree. A little bit about um, battery life, pedestrian feature, but a lot of people are interested in it. Uh, Apple says the iPhone XS Max is 90 minutes longer than the iPhone 10. I've been using it and that feels about right, although it's quite hard to judge because I'm using the iPhone XS Max a lot more than I would use the iPhone 10 because of the bigger screen. So whenever I have um, a bit of downtime or if I'm on a bus, I've been using it pretty much to watch video non-stop because it's, I kind of can't stop. And that eats the battery up more. So in a weird sort of a way, I do find myself needing uh, a boost to it by about three or four o'clock rather than six o'clock or five or six o'clock, which I did before. That said, it technically does go longer uh, than the iPhone 10. The regular sized 5.0 inch uh, iPhone 10s, by the way, the successor to the iPhone 10 is goes for 30 minutes longer than the uh, iPhone 10. Um, has a few other notable features. Uh, it is more water resistant, which means that uh, it can uh, be submerged in liquids at up to two meters for up to 30 minutes. And it will still, it still should be absolutely okay. Uh, you need to dry it off for up to five hours after that. But it has an IP68 rating, which is better than last year's IP67 rating for the iPhone 10. The storage limits have gone up massively as well. And this is something that will suit a lot of people. So the maximum before now was 256 gigabytes, which is still a massive amount of memory. It's more than a lot of laptops. Apple's actually extended that up to 512 gigabytes. Now, you're kind of wondering who actually needs that much storage. I can tell you that at the moment I have an iPhone 10 with 256 gigabytes of storage and I'm using about 140 gigabytes of that. Um, I should probably clear it out. Um, other people who would use it, and there is, a, there is a logical case for having 512 uh, gig, and it's this. If you're going to use your iPhone 10s Max as a semi-tablet, you are likely to be a subscriber to the likes of Netflix, SkyGo, uh, maybe YouTube Premium. And that means that you download videos from those services to your device. Some of those videos can be, you know, 0 0.7, 0 0.8 of a gigabyte in size. If you download a series, you know, 10 episodes, that could be four or five gigabytes. So that's four or five gigabytes of your 512. Now, it only takes maybe eight or nine series or 10 or 20 series before... Okay, that's a lot of series, but you, you, you take my point. Um, we're in a different era where there is an awful lot more stuff that can take up an awful lot more space on your phone than just photos and home videos, which everyone thought were the real space hoggers before. So that's my answer as to why you might need a 512 gigabyte uh, device. Although I think that 256 would probably suffice for the vast majority of people. Um, the iPhone XS comes in variations of uh, 64, 256, and 512 gigabytes. Another thing I quite like is they've it has louder speakers, and this goes back to the idea of your iPhone XS as a television. Um, you can quite comfortably prop this up on your lap or on something on your lap, uh, and you don't need headphones for it. The speakers are about 50% louder. And this really is good enough. Um, people don't usually think of speakers when they think of a phone as being an important uh, feature. But as soon as you start making a screen this size, you do have to start thinking about other issues. I mentioned storage there a moment ago. Uh, but speakers are actually quite important. And Apple has, uh, has improved these. So that's pretty good. Um, there's one feature that I can't wait to use on this that I can't use at the moment because the iPhone XS now comes with dual SIM capability and in particular it comes with eSIM capability. Now what that means is instead of a physical uh, plastic SIM card which it will take um, the second SIM slot is actually an electronic SIM built within the phone. Now the way to think about this is um, the iPad Pro at the moment uh, all of the iPad Pro devices come with a built-in embedded Apple SIM card if you go opt for the cellular version. And what happens is when you go to the US, for example, and you go into your settings and you there's a setting there called mobile data, and if you flick that on, 
you will see a bunch of operator network services from the likes of T-Mobile or Singular or AT&T will pop up as options for you. And you can literally sign up to a plan there and then for that iPod, for that iPad Pro uh, using the embedded SIM, which will connect your iPad Pro to uh, online right there and then. Um, it's incredibly helpful because I travel to the States an awful lot and getting access to mobile data is a major pain in the neck and it's expensive. So the option I have gone for mostly is from AT&T for $75. No, for Verizon, sorry, $75 for, I think it's 15 gigabytes of data, something like that, because when I'm over there, I tend to use the mobile uh, data a lot. I will use the uh, the phone as a personal hotspot to run a laptop off as well or, or an iPad. But recently I've started using the iPad Pro instead because because of this feature. And I bought um, uh, five gigabytes of data from T-Mobile for $10 on this mobile data setting. Uh, and if you use it up, you just top it up by $10 for another five gigabytes. It's incredibly easy to do and it's way easier than trying to traipse around looking for a Walgreens or a CVS to see if you can find somewhere that will sell you um, a prepaid uh, mobile uh, SIM card. So that's a feature I'm really looking forward to use on the iPhone uh, XS. It won't be available, though, until later in the year. The other thing to note about it is it's only going to be available in about 10 countries initially because there, Apple has, has only done deals with a handful of operators, um, including in the UK, EE, which may be valuable if the UK pulls out a hard exit uh, from the EU and mobile roaming collapses there. Uh, sorry, the, the uh, mobile roam, EU mobile roaming um, agreement collapses there. And the US, where I think it has a couple of partners uh, signed up. So the eSIM won't be, you won't be able to use it as an eSIM in Ireland. But even if your phone is Irish and you're, you're an Irish customer of an Irish network, when you go to the US, you will be able to use it there with the local network. And that is going to completely change the ease and affordability to access mobile data in the US. So I'm actually genuinely uh, quite excited about that. Um, what else can you say about this, uh, about these handsets? Um, a, lot of, a lot of it comes back to the, uh, the displays, the screens. So the 6.5 inch 10s max is probably is probably going to be the the phone that gets most of the attention deservedly so because it it's probably the biggest innovation i actually don't think it will be the best selling of these new iphones though i think the one that is going to outsell all others is the one they're releasing next month which is the iphone 10r and the reason i think this is because in look and feel, it is very, very similar, almost identical to the iPhone XS and iPhone XS Max, um, with two exceptions. It only has one rear camera on the back, and it's an LCD screen rather than an OLED screen. Now, it's a very, very, very good LCD screen. So, you know, if you're used to uh, using um, an iPhone 7 or an iPhone 8, you're not really going to notice the difference here. Um, and as for the single camera, that single camera still has access to almost all of the photography features on the iPhone XS and XX, all, all the dual uh, camera um, models. For example, it can use the new portrait mode with the, uh, the f-stop slider and the bokeh control. Um, but the thing about it is, is it's way cheaper. So the iPhone XS Max starts at 1,279 euro for the 64 gigabyte model. The iPhone XR starts at 879. It's 50% cheaper than the iPhone XS Max. And it's a good 30% cheaper than the iPhone XS, which starts at a, um, 1,179 euro. So you're walking into the shop and you're, you've got a choice. You can uh, spend... 1200 euro on an iPhone XS or under 900 euro on an iPhone XR and the only difference really is that you're getting an LCD screen rather than an OLED screen and one camera instead of two 
Um, I think that that's the model that most people are going to go for. However, how does this compare with um, other super phones, like, for example, Samsung's Galaxy Note 9 or Huawei's uh, P20 Pro? Um, Again, I tend to judge phones by things like their cameras. Certainly on the camera front, the iPhone XS is now up there again and in some ways has exceeded the the Huawei P20 Pro and the Samsung S9 and um, Note 9. The cameras on those devices are excellent. In particular, the Huawei P20 Pro, I would say that has been the groundbreaking camera up to now this year. It has definitely eclipsed Samsung in that field. And overall, I think Huawei has probably taken a step ahead of Samsung this year. Its P20 Pro really has beat, really beats anything that Samsung um, uh, has put out uh, this year. Um, but the iPhone XS Max is very, very hard to beat for a number of reasons. The screen quality, um, the build, the fit and finish as well is is still the best on the market. I mean, it has it, it has a steel frame around the side. It's toughened glass on the back, which you can use for uh, wireless charging. It looks absolutely gorgeous. As a package, it's just a beautiful device. Um, and the tech under the hood, that A12 Bionic chip, kind of does set it apart from uh, from most of its uh, from most of its rivals. Now, to be fair, the Snapdragon. Uh, processors and other processors uh, that are in uh, the iPhone's rivals are great chips. They're really, really good. But I think Apple has stolen a march this time um, with with its A12. I think you can probably do more with this than you can uh, with the others. Which is just as well because this costs more than most of the others. You All of the other um, f- phones would be rivals cost quite a bit less. Um, in particular, uh, Huawei's P20 Pro that starts at something or that costs something around the same price as the upcoming iPhone 10R. So you're you're paying a proper premium to get the iPhone 10s. But if you can afford it, if it's within your budget, I would definitely say uh, definitely say go for it. So that's what we have for you from the iPhone report. And uh, as I said, I have had those phones for over a week. Um, I've attended the launch. I reported on that last week. And I have been playing with the two models nonstop ever since. So from me, Adrian Weckler, that's all we have time for this week. Please tune in next week. And uh, until then, bye-bye.